like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Jeremy White and Bert Deister with you. So uh, what's what's going on? How, how are things? Good, good. We're kind of back and forth with the weather right now. I think that's true for a lot of people getting their Christmas shopping done and any hobbies and anything like that. Um, but the weather's been kind of miserable. So yep. as well as we've been seeing people doing their Christmas shopping, we're also see- seeing people taking advantage of being stuck inside to get some brewing done. I yeah. know I'm doing the same as well. Um, but yeah, no, things have been well. Yeah, everything is keeping in stock. You know, no out of stocks yet. We still have uh, plenty of the Brewer's Edge mash and boils, as well as uh, the Keg King uh, controllers, which have been two of the big hot items this year. Um, not really a big surprise. You know, okay. I mean, they're they're pretty much not for beginning brewers, but not for super advanced brewers too. So it's a good middle of the road for a lot of people trying to upgrade their equipment. You know, here and there. Mm-hmm. You can, of course, shop online, mm-hmm. nthomebrew.com. Extended holiday hours underway. Yes. So weekdays were 10 to 8. The next Sunday were 11 to 2. Sunday the 23rd, 11 to 4. Christmas Eve, 10 to 2. will be closed Christmas. And this is the one thing I'm going to keep warning people about. With the way that New Year's falls will be closed Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Because Christmas, we, New Year's mm-hmm. Eve is a... Uh, Monday. Monday. So you're going to close straight through. Straight through. We will not be open New Year's Eve. So if you want to get anything, you have to make it in on that last Saturday um, in December. But that will be big for a lot of people. Otherwise, we're here extended beforehand. So if you need to get your holiday shopping done, we'll be there. And if you need to just stock up, you know what I mean, for kind of the, the days after Christmas where you have some time off, um, come in now and grab what you need. Okay. Very good. So extended hours. Keep in mind those closed days. Um, any specials? Anything going on? Anything no, else people no need to specials. know about? Yeah, yeah. We, we did a couple. Like you know, you're, you're stocked up on everything because everything. You, you'd got, imagine you should be. We got starter right. kits stocked up high. We got brew pots, like big brew pots with a lot of you know brewers. That's one of their kind of Christmas list items. They want a little bit bigger of a brew pot or you know a wart chiller. We got those kind of you know common Christmas items stacked to the roof right now. Um, and not only do we we'll have them stacked to the roof through the holiday season, we always make this promise to people. Um, we will have more stock after Christmas because you want to know what we see a lot of gift certificates and we see a lot of people coming in for the stuff they actually wanted after the holidays. Right. And so when you get that gift certificate, when you get that free time, uh, after the holidays, we'll be in full stock, ready to go with everything you need to make those upgrades, to get brewing as we get kind of right into the winter season here. All right. Very good. So what are we getting into today? There's some basics on making a first lager. Um, we've talked about lagers before. We talked about it actually in the summer. Um, but they're kind of taboo for a lot of home brewers. Um, for two completely different natures uh, for, for reasons among Homebrew kind of you know, homebrewers and connoisseurs. So one, the, the, there's some misconceptions that one, lagers are the beers of only big macro breweries. They're always light, usually flavorless, and not really worth any beer snobs, beer aficionados time. The second kind of misconception we get all the time is that lagers require precise temperature control in the 40s. Um, they require too much time to really, you know, try to brew at home, and any slight mistake will cause irreparable problems, and the finished beer will be ruined. Both of these are not necessarily true. 
the you know the flavor of lager span the range just the same as their ale counterparts. So for Baltic Porter, you know what I mean, is much like an Imperial Porter, but with lager yeast. If you like barley wines, try a Doppelbach. If you go for IPLs, try an Imperial Pilsner or an IPL, which is kind of an IPA fermented with a lager yeast. Right. So lager doesn't mean light, flavorless, and necessarily really hard to ferment. It needs a PR team to help it, right? You got it. Right? You got it. Because I think you're right. When you're talking about lagers, I think people just, I don't know, maybe in the, the craze of IPAs and all that stuff, they just kind of just, all right, cool. I don't need to really yeah. consider that. And they are having a renaissance right now in American brewing. So we see a lot of um, Pilsners, but also like Munich Hellas uh, has become quite popular. Now for the fermentation, there's really not much more that you're doing for your standard ale. Yes, they like a cold start, but they don't like their cold start in the 40s. It's usually somewhere in the 50s, which is right around your basement temperature this time of year. Um, We did a show in the summer, right, about uh, doing lagers, and we gave you six recipes Mm -hmm. using three different authentic lager yeasts, all that like to ferment right at like 65 degrees. So... If you don't want to worry about any temperature control or anything like that, there's plenty of lager use out there that you can use pitch at 65, ferment in two weeks just like your ale, bottle, and you're done. Um, And there are a few that like the cold start, or they kind of produce cleaner flavors during the cold start, but that's not really um, necessary. So let's kind of talk into some kind of basic bullet points because we're not going to do a whole show on lagers here. We have some other stuff to get to, but some basic bullet points on what you want to do to produce your own lager as far as tricks for experienced lager brewers. Um, I'm not going to say that if you went through doing your normal process that you wouldn't have an absolute beer, great beer, but there's a few things that you can do that kind of ensure your chances of getting a really good beer, even if it's your first time fermenting a lager. First of all, use more yeast. Temperature does affect ester production, but so does the workload of fermentation on any individual yeast. So the more work that an individual cell has to do over the course of fermentation, the more likely it is to produce esters. So if you pitch, and most lager brewers pitch two to three times the amount of yeast that they would for a normal ale, it almost guarantees that you're going to have a super clean beer no matter what happens to the temperature during fermentation. So that's the first trick of lager brewers. Even though we might still be pitching cold, and it really is a necessity if you're pitching cold, pitch two to three times the normal volume of yeast just to guarantee that each cell doesn't see much stress. while it helps to pitch a few degrees cooler, um, you know what I mean, so in the 50s to kind of control that ester production, if you're a few degrees off or if you have, you know, you know, three to you know, four degrees of variation in the room you're trying to ferment that lager, it won't ruin the beer. And you might not even have any noticeable differences because of it. So if you don't have a fermentation control, if you don't have that keg king and heating pad like we keep talking about, chances are your basement temperatures will be just fine. And if not in your basement, maybe on the stairwell going up or maybe in a cold corner of the first floor, you will be able to find a temperature that's sitting in like 55 to 60 and staying there pretty constant. And then after that, 
you have to bring it up to a diacetyl rest. This is another big worry. So we've, we've talked about a big worry of, you know, what do I need to do for the yeast? You need to add more. You know, what if I can't precisely control my temperature? It will be okay. And then last of all is um, the German tradition was to, and I think this was a wine Stefaner practice, to move the beer up two degrees every 12 hours or every two points of gravity as after it hit peak fermentation. Again, this is not absolutely critical. And these are best case scenarios. And I don't expect to make my lagers to the same caliber of wine stuff on her. If that was a, uh, a mandatory criteria for my home brewing is that I made lagers as good as wine stuff on her, I've been failing for 15 years. But I've made <laughs> some damn good lagers right. too. Um, so they bring it up slowly. I usually end up like putting it one day on the, the stairs, and then I bring it up to the first floor after two days. Or if I'm pressed for time, I just bring it right up to the first floor to get up to that 65 degrees for the diacetyl rest. You don't have to move it up absolutely slowly. Okay. Um, the next thing that I think is a big worry for brewers is they want to lager in the carbuoy because it puts off bottling. So it gives you another chance to procrastinate actually putting the beer into bottles. Um, I always tell people it's better to finish the beer out, give it a quick secondary to get it clear, and then put it into bottles, get it carbonated, and then lager it. The reason is if you lager it in a secondary, one of the big fears of people is that you'll have to add more yeast when you go into bottle. While this isn't difficult, you just rehydrate a fifth of a package and mix it into the carbuoy after you've let it warm up. It is one extra step. It's one extra thing you have to grab and kind of be able to find, you know what I mean, three months, you know, three weeks later after you've lagered this beer in a carbuoy. And if you don't have it around, you're probably not going to get around to actually bottling the lager. So bottle it right away while it still has plenty of yeast in it. Um, let it fully carbonate and then lager it. And you don't have to have a fridge to do the lagering. It doesn't, again, that doesn't have to be perfectly controlled at 40 degrees. I usually take my lagers and I put them right on the, the basement floor once I get them bottled. And that seems to be not only, we'll say, traditional, but... It, you know, works well every time. I've never had a problem with it. And last of all, when we're talking about lagers, make them now. You know what I mean? We talked about those six recipes that you could rush through in the middle of the summer. Um, but you could do a bunch of them right now and stack them all up in the basement, and they'll be just fine there all the way to June, July. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have all these wonderfully lagered pilsners and helices. Um, you'll be ahead of the beer trend curve. Um, and you'll be ready for summer. So now is the time to brew these. Although you want to be drinking Imperial Stouts and you know Christmas beers and stuff like that, the time to brew them was about two months ago, three months ago, or even all the way back in the summer. Um, not to say that you can't make them now, but if you want to stick to the seasonality of brewing, it's time to make your Pilsners, your Lagers, and, and all those other beers that do like it just a tiny bit cooler. Right. And summer lager is, I mean, a great style that we don't really talk about all that often. Like no. something to drink, a, a, a summer lager. Or really, you mean like just like a session? Or... Right, right, right. Yeah. We, we, I guess what I'm saying is we talk winter lagers all the time. but Like, like in the big stuff. And, right. And, and, and the light beers, like, yeah. And so we do want what is as common of a style as it is. We've never covered Bohemian or Bavarian Pilsner. 
right on the show. As common as a style is, there's, there hasn't been as much interest. Um, they've been available kind of throughout. We'll say the bad years of American, you know, beer scene. You could still get really great German, Danish lagers, and I think for that we took them for granted. You know what I mean? The St. Pauli Girl Darks and the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the Pilsner Urkels and, and, and all these other um, really uh, great classic beers filled with flavor, filled with complexity, were kind of overlooked because we had them right alongside, you know, our American domestic light. We'll take a break. We get back. We're going to go to converting to indoor brewing for you here. It's uh, Niagara Traditions Just Brew It. Happy holidays from me, Jeremy, and Bert. Back on the other side here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means... Either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply, 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Welcome back to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White and Burke Geister. We've taken a few moments off of Red Dead Redemption 2 to uh, talk beer. Has it got you yet? It's got me. Okay. It's got me. I like the immersive (laughs) video games. Uh, even though I was fishing this past weekend, you I went came fishing home in the game Monday night, and I just sat there and went got fishing. a hot cocoa and hit, went fishing in the game. Yeah, yeah. So the simpler things. Right. It's nice to be out of the house uh, for a little bit. Yeah, but when it starts raining, oh, you're like right the, back to it. Right, yeah, it's a good. It's good to have in the holiday season. Uh, so you know when you're brewing and when you're just waiting for something to happen, you're waiting for your, uh, I don't know. You're, you're 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 watching your fermentation. You're sitting there watching and thinking like, I'll just uh, play some Red Dead while I'm doing this. Yeah, they 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 are start off mutually beneficial. Yeah, um, like during the mash, and then when I was trying to come up to a boil and deal with boil over, I was actually trying to double duty playing while brewing. Uh, it worked out. Both got a little messier than needed to be, but it worked out in the in the long run. So that if you're doing that, you're indoors. Let's talk about yeah. indoor brewing. Yeah, so, so you can talk you, about indoor you can brewing. Do the, so you can be sitting on yes. your couch and have your your brewing sitting on your kitchen floor within uh, sight because that that's very nice, especially as we're talking about it's pouring rain in the middle of winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about what your options are. One, I always like to start off with this disclaimer: propane is really out of the question. Um, you always want to have a carbon monoxide detector ready and a fire extinguisher ready. Um, if you don't already when you brew, and, and I always do, obviously I don't. I skip the carbon monoxide detector inside because I already have one hooked up, um, but the danger with propane is not the carbon monoxide. And, and when people ask us about this in the store, they always assume it's the carbon monoxide. No, the big danger with propane is blowing yourself up. Um, when somebody lives off in the country and they have propane-powered stove, you know what I mean? They have a regulator on a massive tank outside, and then it comes at a lower pressure inside their house. But that tank is outside so that you couldn't have an explosion. You could have a fire. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I guess you could you could fill the room with you know low-pressure propane and have an explosion. But the chances are if you get it lit right when you you know ignite it, you shouldn't have a problem. Um, 
you don't want to have propane inside the house. It's a heavy gas. If you're trying to do this in the basement, it's going to sink low. It's not going to float up and dissipate. So propane is for only outside. Again, the not it's not the worry of, you know, if you have a carbon monoxide detector, it's a worry of blowing up. You have a big liquid tank of explosives there. Don't bring it inside the house. Um, so that's the kind of propane uh, kind of warning. Natural gas is okay. Um, some burners, some of your propane burners, can be converted to natural gas and some cannot. Cheap burners that are the, usually the jet-style burners will not work. Um, Blickman burners or anvil burners or I believe the elements burner as well that have this high distribution are able to burn propane. You do have to add a needle valve onto them. With prop- or with, I'm sorry, they can burn natural gas with a regulator. With and propane with a regulator, with natural gas, you need to add a pin valve. So when you're normally using it outside, you have a regulator right on the tank, which reduces pressure and also reduces the amount of flow. When you're doing natural gas, it's a set like two to three PSI. To reduce your heat, you have to put on a needle valve or some type of valve to control the actual flow. Um, you want to give yourself a nice long supply line to get this away from the wall because you want ideally 12 to 18 inches of open space around any open flame. Um, and some shielding would be nice. So if, if you're doing this up against a basement wall, you have somebody add in a supply valve down there, you put in a small vent into the window. Um, these are all great ideas. Um, you still need to be away from the wall at least like 12 inches. Mm-hmm. Now, this kind of depends on the material of your wall a little bit. I, you know, I'm not going to get into specifics, but even if you have a concrete wall, if it's painted, you have to worry about what that paint material is and whether it's going to you know, go up in flames. So you want to move it a little ways away from the wall. Um, other than that, natural gas, you will want ventilation. You will want a carbon monoxide detector, but there's no we'll say added danger to brewing off a standalone burner on the basement floor than there is you know making spaghetti sauce on a gas stove upstairs it's the same flame if you had two or three burners going on your home stove it's the equivalent btus of running one of these big jet burners so there's not really any extra worry as far as how much you're putting in but you still want ventilation partially to deal with the water not the carbon monoxide now, electric, which is the way that I've chosen to go at home, we went natural gas at work, is a lot easier. I have a lot more options, and to me, it's a lot safer. Um, so your traditional way was just to put it on the stove. Um, but now there's a lot more options. So there's induction heating. So you can get an induction burner, which uses microwaves to heat a plate at the bottom of the pot, and that goes up. We have brew pots ready for induction burners. Um, You can go with some type of traditional coil, and that would be adding a water heater element and controller to your brew pot. That would be the Blickman uh, G2 um, boil coils that take up really the whole bottom of the pot and kind of custom fit those pots. Um, And that could also be like the mash and boil or the grain father or the robo brew, where you actually have an element built into the brew pot, really built into the bottom layer of the metal Um, and these all will work about the same and really well Mm -hmm. and and there's a lot less worry 
um, about it. If, if you're drawing too much, you're going to trip your breaker. If you're using an extension cord, that's another issue. You want to keep, you know, grabbing that extension cord. Make sure it's not, you know, generating any heat, even if it's rated for the amount of watts you're using. Um, but you have a lot of options. The other thing is you have a lot of options on the output. So if you want to do 10-gallon batches, if you know you're going to do big beers, you can go to 40. Um, and you still have a couple of different options. Blickman, I think, makes by far the nicest 240 options and with the most like wattage actually going into the pot. Um, but this gives you a lot of options, and I was looking at it before I ended up buying my grandfather. The big thing is you just, if you, especially if you have an electric stove, you just unplug the electric stove, put the brew pot onto the stove, plug it into the wall, and now you have a 240 all going into one element right on top of your stove. Um, in the basement, if I was going to do it in the basement, I was going to put a piece of plywood on top of my uh, washer. It's right next to the slop sink. It's right kind of off of the kind of, we'll say, little brew cellar room. Um, and I was going to unplug the dryer and plug the pot into there. Otherwise, if you want to have it moved into a specific room or outside into the garage, you will probably have to call an electrician and get a 240 line run out there um but the electric is easy there's a lot of plug and play systems everywhere from like the brew easy you know blickman systems up in the thousands of dollars which we still get a lot of takers on down to the you know grain father into the mash and boil you have a lot of options for 120 volt you have a lot of options for 240 volt and there's a lot less work and a lot less worry um that you have full disclosure I fell asleep on the couch during brewing <laughs> that beer the other night. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it only boiled an extra half hour, added some tap water. Um, you know, thank God I woke up. You, know, you can it, just it, add, it would shut itself off. You can just but, add water back in because yeah, just of, water back in. I didn't lose that much. And I mean, to be quite honest, if it had boiled down to one or two gallons, it does have a trip center tensure in there. So as your liquid becomes less and your sugar content becomes more, the liquid becomes hotter and hotter as it boils and it will actually turn itself off so when hmm. it gets much hotter than the boiling point of water these electric systems will turn themselves off so gotcha. even if i had left it through the night you know it should have turned itself off well before it could have got to a temperature of which it would actually lit that like kind of soup you know sugary soup then on fire uh so like i said the, the big thing with me of why i wanted to go electric was the safety was the fact that i'm brewing you know, after work, inside, a lot of times when I'm tired, and I didn't want those extra worries. Okay. You know what I mean? And so that's why I went with electric, and we're really seeing about 90% of the people trying to make an indoor setup go electric. That Brewer's Edge mash and boil is really perfect for if you just want to bring your whole setup inside. You know what I mean? You bring your cooler for your mash on your existing wart chiller. You know, you put the mash and boil right on the kitchen table, and it's a really easy brew day. We talk about convenience a lot. The fact that you can fall asleep while it's happening is, yeah. I mean, it's not really beneficial. Not ideal, but, but it does drive home just how convenient it is. natural gas setup, right. you know what I right. mean? That is a whole different level of scary. Right, you know right. What I mean, and like I said, I had an alarm set, you know, so I woke up um, a little bit late. Um, the alarm didn't wake me up. The alarm woke the dog up, and then the dog said to get the alarm off has to wake me up so right. it worked out um but again that is a worry that you're going to leave it you know a little bit too long or something like that or that you get pulled away um and that's why i went with electric a right. lot less worry for me 
Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. So what are some good ideas if you're going to set up inside? You definitely want a CO detector and you definitely want a smoke alarm. Um, those are necessities. Uh, you also want ventilation. And it's not really for the carbon monoxide, but for the humidity. So if you're brewing near a window, you can just put in a fan, but you're generating a lot of moisture. So when I brew a five gallon batch, I really start off with seven and a half, seven gallons of water at the beginning. Um, and those extra two gallons there are lost to the air. So if you really wanted to represent how much humidity you're putting into the air, and if I'm brewing in a place like a basement where I have, you know, uh, cold walls, cold rafters and stuff like that, or well, floorboards, um, take two gallons of water, put it into a paint sprayer and go around and spate paint your whole basement with it that would be the equivalent of how much humidity you're putting into the air when you brew a five gallon batch and so that's the danger is not that again the the monoxide is a danger but it's not what primarily we're worried about with the ventilation partially because it falls and the ventilation is always pulling from the top we're worried about all that water and creating mold you know creating some type of damage inside your house causing if you're doing it in a room that's painted causing the paint to bubble up off the walls. So that's why you need your copper monoxide. Um, having some heat shielding is nice, especially if you're going natural gas. Um, and having water nearby is huge. Um, to be able to rinse stuff out, to be able to top off like I did. And the other thing with the grandfather is, so grandfather, $900,000 now. Very nice system, love it. Every bell and whistle, everything I need is there. Mash and boil has handles. Grandfather does not have handles. Oh, so when I filled it up at the sink the other day and I went to go walk it across the basement, I kind of realized, like, how am I going to do this? So I had to pour it all back into a bucket, you know, and all my water and then walk it across the basement just because I didn't want to, like, bend the grandfather, right. or, you know, get it all wet trying to, you know, get it into my little brew area. So having water close by is really important. All right. Anything other, any things we need to get to before, I mean, holiday stuff? Holidays? No. We're not having any, like we've, we had our small, you know, sale for startup kits on Small Business Saturday. Um, we're not having any sales from, you know, here on to the, the rest of the year. Um, and we just encourage you, if you're looking to get somebody a startup kit, that you get it. So if you're listening here, if you're listening across the country, get it from your local homebrew shop. You're really going to get the right stuff there. Um, if you get it online, still get it from your local homebrew shop, whoever that is, because they're going to be the people that are going to deal with the person that is trying to do this so they definitely have a vested interest in making sure that that person gets the right equipment and that they're able to continue the hobby because to be quite honest that's where we make our money is on that continued lifelong brewing the big box stores the amazon deals that give you a cheap startup kit that kind of leaves you missing some key components is not going to help the person out any All so right. get them the right get them the traditional equipment to start off if they decide to go with some brewing system later on that's up to them but get them the basics and get them the right one all right that's it for us thanks for joining us niagara traditions just brew it happy holidays again extended store hours uh 10 to 8 weekdays weekdays next oh. sunday 11 to 2 sunday before christmas 11 to 4 and christmas eve 10 to 2 very good happy holidays back next week on niagara traditions just brew it on espn 1520 
listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.